Welcome to the Inside Zone Podcast. Welcome to the Inside Zone Podcast, the UK's premier NFL podcast. And we can say that because it's a completely subjective statement, so no one can report us to training standards. Please don't report us to training standards. I'm Nick Dunkerson, and joining me as always today is Inside Zone Editor-in-Chief Tom Like. No guest today, they must have all heard how mean Tom was to Mark Schofield and Michael Kiss these past <laughs> two weeks. So well done there, Tom. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, yourself, Nick. Uh, yeah, not 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 too bad. Not overly looking forward to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. I'm sure no listeners to the show will be surprised to hear. Um, and I don't think I'm alone in that, but here we are. Um, anyway, we've got actually a week off football this week because I refuse to accept the Pro Bowl isn't happening. So we're having a little bit of a look back at the season that was. We're seeing you know a few themes, maybe picking out a couple of games that stood out to us that we enjoyed. Um, we're also going to have a little bit of a look forward um, because there's been a whole heap of new coaches hired, head coaches, um, offer a few snap opinions. I mean, that's got the caveat that even people in the know don't really know, don't really have a clue how coaching hires are going to pan out, let alone us. Um, Super Bowl previews next week, so other than noting that the Pats beat the Jags and the Eagles beat the Vikings, um, we're saving all that for next week. So, should we get on with the show? Yeah, sounds good. Great. Um, and but before we before you um, fire up the uh, nostalgia omatic machine, um, should we have a look at the head coaching hires first? Um, in some cases, they're confirmed. In some cases, where um, the, it's involving someone from a Super Bowl contender, they're not confirmed yet. I I can't remember if. Um, people like Matt Patricia, Josh, Daniel, Josh McDaniels will have to wait until after Super Bowl or if they can actually talk officially uh, now. Unofficially, they haven't been able to thus far for any team in the playoffs, um, which is why you had... Um, but unofficially, they've been talking, which is why you had Pat Shermer hired pretty swiftly after yeah. Minnesota were eliminated. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's kind of been implied, especially by Ian Rappaport and a few of the the beat writers they've they've all basically said that you know that the, they've dotted the i's and t's but obviously with the team with the Patri- patriots still in the playoffs both <coughs> of the coordinators will still officially be um, be there next year but I, th- I think everyone kind of knows that th- th- they'll be gone by by about two weeks time yeah i mean for, for um following beat writers and uh, insiders like um adam schefter uh ian rapport on twitter is basically it points out how a lot it's a little bit of a sham all these rules about you can't do this until this day um and things like when free when free agency opens in March, which we'll be back to talk about, it's a very similar thing as to how quickly things can happen. Yeah. I mean, you have haven't been talking before. Anyway, um, I think the first hire that was made was um, the Chicago Bears poaching Kansas City's defensive coordinator Matt Nagy, head coach. No, on that first because he pronounces his name Nagy. I, Nagy. I am saying he pronounces his name wrong. Um, and I, I'm this. This is. A, I've been to Hungary twice. It's a Hungarian name. Um, the GY in Hungarian is a J. It's sort of like um, start of just in it, but with a little bit of an extra D. So, so I am going to um, refuse to call him anything but Matt Nagy and let people who are actually listening to Americans butchering European languages pronounce Nagy. Anyway, he's broadly made a good impression, I think, in Kansas City for his play calling, and he seems to be, as far as one can tell, a decent dude. So he's got that going for him. Um, what he doesn't have going for him is in his uh, under pressure in Kansas City. Play calling does tend to fall apart, and we can it does seem to every year, and we can never tell whose fault was that. I mean, is it Andy Reid? Was it Matt Nagy this year? Nagy, Nagy. What? Slipped all, I've slipped already. Someone else. I mean, we we don't often find out until a few years hence, but we can kind of guess. 
Well, I mean, it, it's quite clear that the, the, the Chiefs did start the season 5-0. and They then ended up 6-5 and by December and, and Reed did... You know, he did seed the play calling duties to to Najee, or or however you want to pronounce it, and under his play calling, the the Chiefs finished four and one and averaged twenty eight point six points down the stretch when they couldn't move the ball in the weeks prior to that. So he he has he has followed Andy Reid from from stop to stop. So he is definitely going to try and bring some of those air raid mashed with uh, West Coast offense, the kind of the, the kind of offense that that Reed has traditionally ran the past couple of years in the NFL. So. He, he's quite a young coach, he's about 39, and obviously he's an offensive mind. And the big thing for Chicago will be if they can keep that defensive coordinator there, who's been been linked with a, a lot of other clubs so far. I, I yeah, I mean, I, I was just noting he does seem to have a decent staff so far. I, as far as I can tell, it's pretty much certain, supposedly, that Vic Fangio will be staying. Um, yeah. I mean, looking at the head coaching jobs, I think they're all pretty much settled now. So unless he wants a DC job somewhere else, um, yeah. and. I th- well, was- from, from what from what I can from what I can pick up from sort of beat writers and rumours that um, Nagy's Nagy actually Nagy oh I'm not going to be able to keep this up am I yeah. <laughs> Matt Nagy has basically seemed to sell what he's doing to Fangio is the rumour um, and that's quite a, that is a solid defence that um, Chicago have got going um, interesting that he's brought across um, Matt Helf- Mark Helfrick from uh, University of Oregon the Oregon Ducks. Um, He's sort of, again, seen as quite a forward-thinking coach, but I've seen a few people, and these do tend to be diehard Oregon fans, think he's pretty poor. I, I saw um, uh, Bleacher Report's Justice Mosqueda absolutely going off on one about him. But that's that's interesting that there is this disconnect between Oregon fans and sort of people who've, you know, chin, chin strokers and personnel watchers. Um, so, I, I, I th- and, you know, it, it could go either way, really. He could be Steve Sarkeesian, Mark II, or he could be... A little bit better. Let's, well, let's, say. let's let's be honest. Nothing can be nothing could be worse than John Fox in terms of the Mitchell Trubisky's development. I think I think Nagy he's got a history there. He's he's helped get the best out of Alex, um, Alex Smith, someone who actually I think Mitchell Trubisky probably compares to quite favorably. Actually, they've both got quite a similar skill set. Um, there, there was definitely comparisons made coming out of coming out of North Carolina last year. So. It, this this one has all been made about the future of the franchise. You know, the Bears they need yeah. someone in there, not John Fox, who can. You know, give Trubisky more than ten throws a game rather than giving Jordan Howard thirty-five carries. So, I, th- I think this 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 should be hopefully good for Trubisky and, and good for the Bears if they can keep Fangio. I mean, I think he was strongly linked with the the Packers job, but now that that's mm. gone, maybe as the dust settles, he might just stay there for one more year and then try his put his name in the hat next time round. I think for a few of these openings. We also saw, I think, probably the biggest head coaching hire. Well, no, probably about it, but John Gruden going back to Oakland yeah. after. 10 years out of coaching to an absolute whopper of a salary. I mean, what's your take on that? Well, it's one of these things where a lot of people do comment that he has been out of the game for a very long time. But, I mean, we, we see it in hard knocks. I mean, John Gruden, is, is he seems to be around every single football um, facility week in, week out. And with his broadcasting job, you know, he, he stays very much in the loop. And then he's got his QB camp where he, you know, th- those are extremely valuable, seeing how, how he breaks, how he evaluates prospects, talks them through film and stuff. And uh, the problem with John Green is that he had a very mediocre end in Tampa Bay, which a lot of people tend to forget, you know. He did, he obviously won the Super Bowl very early on. I believe it was his first year he won the Super Bowl, wasn't it? So, yeah, first did, in Tampa Bay. Yeah, uh, sorry, Tampa Bay, I meant, sorry. And then, um, he he seemed to struggle after that. So Gruden's been out of the game a long time, and he's probably going to maybe bring it a bit back more old school. I mean, he does love using fullbacks and stuff. So I think we're going to see a very much an an old school 
uh, play quality is, but then he, he also loves the West Coast, so it's going to be interesting to see if Derek Carr can pick up the verbiage. I remember reading an article recently about one of the longest plays in the in the West Coast uh, jargon. It was it was unbelievably long, so whether Derek Carr can quickly get, get all that and the players in the system, it's it should be an interesting one. I think he's got a little bit of a middling staff. I mean, Greg Olson, offensive coordinator, Yeah, that's also not Olson, Carolina um, Panthers tight end. He's been he's he's done some decent work and he's done fairly well with a few a few quarterback jobs, but it's not inspiring. Bringing Tom Cable in onto the defensive line, I mean, he's basically overseen disasters in Seattle when he's not being um, uh, when he's not being criticised and getting involved in um, domestic violence cases. That's public record. Well done there, Tom. Yeah. Um, and Paul Gunther, who was uh, Cincinnati defensive coordinator for a while, notably middle of the pack units there. It's hard to get inspired. It's it's sort of is this a Gruden effect? Uh, is this just just it has to be Gruden because he's a big name, a famous name, and you see people do this in other sports, and I do think it's it's kind of people you know sell the farm for the best football coach in round football, and it just doesn't necessarily pay off. And yeah. I think there's a lot of skepticism about this, and I think that's healthy. Uh, can, can I just quickly interrupt here? Because I have found the article in the Washington Post written by the excellent Mark Bullock. Uh, this is this is one of the play calls, one of one of the ones that Gruden is known for. So it's U-zap to west right, tight F left, f- fake 99, toss crunch naked right. So, I mean, if you can clearly see why we say when players come from different systems, it's very hard to adjust. Can you imagine being... You know, a wide receiver and trying to figure out your little part of there. Say you've never, say you've ran the the uh, the air coil system where you just had a number before. I mean, it's something that it, that could take a lot of time, and we've seen it before with Matt Ryan and Kyle Shanahan. It took two years for him to get fully entrenched in the in the play call. So people think that the Raiders is going to be a Super Bowl team, Magruden straight away in year one. Year, it could take a few years for that relationship, mm-hmm. and Carr, that dynamic to develop. So it's not going to be an instant success story but maybe it will maybe i'll end up you know eating my words but i think it's going to take a couple of years to to get this thing right down in oakland and eventually las vegas let's um quickly touch on a few of the other hires um tennessee titans appointed texans defensive coordinator mike Vrabel, who is another um coach in the uh, afc south who's been like who's come from basically bill belichick and obviously we know that bill but um People who've worked under Bill Belichick don't necessarily translate well to the NFL in a way that other sort of celebrated head coach trees do. Um, his main job is going to be getting more out of Marcus Mariota um, and making sure that he's got the right offensive coordinator in place to do that. Yeah, that, that's that's essentially his job. Is, is he should be there to, to coach up the defense? He's not had he's not had a bad coaching tree. I mean, he he played under Bill Belichick, obviously. Then he got his start um, at Ohio State, and then eventually he was under Urban Meyer there. So he he's been around a lot of good football coaches. So he's he to me he's kind of this this head coach where it's not going to be so much about X's and O's as it will be about leading men and trying to make that team mentally tough and going to be a great a great leader in the locker room rather than necessarily a, a schematic one like a Carl Shanahan in San Francisco. That that's how I kind of view this hire. And like you said, I think the the offensive coordinator hire will, will be key there in Tennessee. Mm. Um, the Giants have hired. Pat Shermer, a Minnesota defensive coordinator, um, he's had a head coaching gig before. He went 9-23 in two seasons with Cleveland, which is a very poor record, but it's also Cleveland. The worry is that he'll be a bit of a retread with no new ideas, um, but it is worth noting his last couple of jobs, um, basically in Philadelphia, Minnesota, he's got middling quarterbacks to quite a high standard. That is sort of the main thing that we will know. Um, the work he did in 2013 with Nick Foles, the work he's done this year with Case Keenum, um, 
how question is how that translates to um, a second head coaching job. Um, it'll be an interesting one. I think I think I'm a bit I'm a little skeptical, I'm a little unsure about that. It could genuinely go either way. Yeah, it's interesting though because Steve Spagnola actually hired him to be his offensive coordinator in in, in in St. Louis for the Rams. So now, you know that now it's kind of come full circle. And yeah, like you said, he's he's got the history there. But one of the things I'm going to be watching very keenly this offseason is that the man, well, not the management, sorry, the the ownership have said that Eli Manning is the quarterback. But uh, Pat Shermer's got a lot of history of Sam Bradford, and I know he's. You know he plays five games and get injured, but in the first game of the season against the Saints this year, I mean he he looked unbelievably like he, like a a superstar. So thanks for reminding me. Yeah, it's, sorry, there, Nick, but it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see what happens with New York and they're, they're number two, and I've got them in my draft taking Josh Rosen, and I think that probably suits Shermer more than some of the other ones in, in this class. But mm. it's gonna be interesting to see what what they do there, and he's obviously there with the intention that he's going to groom the next quarterback after Eli Manning I think that's very much why they went offensive instead of going for maybe a, a Matt Patricia there or, or or someone else but and there's also a lot of rumors that I've, I've seen that obviously this is all pure speculation but that the Giants actually went in for Patricia and McDaniels and were unable to get both so they kind of settled on Pat Sherman because they didn't want him going somewhere else say a Tennessee so not sure if they really got the guy they necessarily wanted there in New York but I, th- I think he should still be a good head coach. But two likely appointments, um, as we discussed earlier, is that we expect yeah. that the Lions and the Colts are, are going to, between them, hire their current defensive and offensive coordinators from New England. So Matt Patricia to the Lions, pretty much nailed on. And Josh McDaniels to the Colts is fairly nailed on. I don't know how certain that is. I mean, Patricia's thought of as quite thoughtful and erudite. And I think there's a lot of a feeling that he could handle... Um, the duties that a head coach has that sort of go beyond that of a coordinator. Essentially, the reason why you haven't got your boss's job and your boss has got it is the reason why Matt, Matt, Matt Patricia might make a good head coach uh, when he's been a decent coordinator. I, th- I don't think he's ever he's, had an incredible defense in New England. He's never he's never been drowning in talent, but they've not yeah. been that talent poor either. No, they've 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 always done well with subpar players. But the problem with with Patricia is it's very difficult to evaluate how much of it is him. And how much of it is Belichick getting involved? We don't know, you know, just just yeah. where the where the the delegation stops and where maybe Bill takes a step back and leaves it to Patricia. So it's going to be interesting where he's going to break out on his own with Detroit, who is a franchise I think all of us kind of would like. It's kind of like I feel like the Lions, the Browns, are franchises mm. you kind of have to root for and you'd like to see them do well. But, but I mean, I'm not sure about the Browns anymore. Uh, yeah, maybe not. Keeping but, Hugh Jackson for third season, I mean, that's that, that's bordering on insanity. But yeah, I mean. The, the Lions, they've certainly got enough pieces there on offense, so maybe if they could... I mean, he's got ties to general manager there. They've, they've both got ties from the days in New England. So maybe if Bob Quinn could get him a few pieces on defense and maybe build a little bit through the free agency, then he could try and make the most of some subpar talent there as long as the because the offense is, is going to be largely fine there with Matthew Stafford still in place. So that, that could be an inter- interesting one. And then about Josh McDaniels to the Colts, I mean, what an opportunity he's got to, to, to groom and, if he's healthy, and develop Andrew Luck, who who could be a top three quarterback in this league when healthy. There's a lot mm. of talk that Tennessee were very interested in McDaniels, but McDaniels kind of favoured the Colts job over the Titans job, which is why they, they ultimately settled on Vrabel there. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing with McDaniels, you mentioned that Patricia thought of as quite thoughtful and erudite. Josh McDaniels in his one head coaching job um, in Denver in 2010, 2010, 2011, um, he was basically the opposite of thoughtful and erudite. He seemed sort of egomaniacal and yeah. shouty. Um, and I think it's one of the worst sort of head coaching jobs that anyone's done at any team in recent years. Um, well, 
a lot of the problem there was his misevaluation of talent, which is something that obviously he won't have to do. Majorly yeah, but, but in, in, that in is a sort of uh, no. I think I think an offensive coordinator should be able to evaluate talent. So yeah, but you'd... one would hope he's he's either learnt that or he's kind of yeah not had to do it. And the Colts do not have. Well, they basically have zero talent on their roster apart from Andrew Luck. It seems like sometimes that's that's unfair. You talk, you've got a few rookies like Mali Cooker and um, yeah. So you you, you hope Chris Balshard on there yeah. as well, but but there's not really the Ty Hill. There's not really much else. So yeah, that that's a really interesting one. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see just just how much control McDaniel's has. Is he able to wrestle some away from from Chris Ballard? Because that was a problem in Denver. It wasn't necessarily. It's was kind of like Chip Kelly. You know, if they these guys just settled on coaching X's and O's and, and managing the team rather than necessarily the roster, that, that that's kind of where, where it, went, it went all wrong for him in Denver. Right, last head, last head coach hire was the Arizona hiring Panthers defensive coordinator Steve Wilk, so I will confess I have not really had any thoughts about it. He's only been there one year, much like Sean McDermott was last year before he went to Buffalo. Um, any takes, or is this a real sort of let's just see how it goes? So it's the, it's the second year in a row that the Panthers have lost their defensive coordinator. I mean, they went 11-5 and five, uh, this year. The defense was, was, was a pretty good unit, actually. Average. I'd say it was probably a top five defense on the year, maybe fifth or sixth for the year. So, But they've got good pieces there, so I think he, he did a good job. But yeah, this was kind of an interesting one. It wasn't necessarily a hot coordinator name I saw flying around there. But, I mean, Arizona, and he's, he's got a history of being a defensive backs coach, so he's he's kind of been all around the league as, as a DBs coach. So maybe, you know, he's got Patrick Peterson, Tyron Matthew, a few other pieces there. So then you've got Chandler Jones in the front end. So maybe if he could get the most out of those guys and then hope hope, hope that it's kind of a difficult one there because what is he going to do on offense? They, they haven't got Carson Palmer. They're going to have to have a total yeah. rebuild there. So it's going to be... That, that's that's going to be a really interesting it, development off-season. Very intriguing that with a big, you know, a massive rebuild on offense, they went... With a defense head, a defensive head coach, so that that's kind of an interesting one. That was my take there. I was quite shocked at the fact that they they brought in a defensive coordinator to be their next head coach. I, I could have been sworn it would have been some young shot, hot shot offensive guy to help you know groom whoever they end up getting in at quarterback, or maybe they're going to bring in Kirk Cousins or a veteran, so they won't need that. So and they're going to try and make their defense elite. So maybe that's them tipping their hat a little bit about what they're going to do that down there in Arizona. Yeah, maybe. Um... Well, I mean, that's looking forward to next year for a few teams with new head coaches. But should we look back a little? Um, 2017, I think, was a fairly good, not terrible, not amazing season. Um, some absolutely outstanding games, though. Um, when yeah. you're sort of stuck with no football because the Pro Bowl doesn't exist over the next week and a half, um, and you want to go back and hit up a game on Game Pass, um, I th- I've picked a couple that I think I'd recommend, Tom. I don't know if you have. Um Got yep. two, one, two, five. Um, I'm going to go first anyway, um, because my uh, sort of the first game that popped to mind. This isn't necessarily the, the best, but just what I'm going to watch again will be the very first game of the season, oh, which Kansas I City beat New England, 42-27. I mean, this was great. We had unknown Kareem Hunt fumbling on his first carry and then ripping off three touchdowns. Incredible as a receiver and a rusher. We had Alex Smith suddenly completing more than one deep pass in the same game. Um, but we kind of, and looking back, we kind of forget that New England was sort of just edge, kept edging ahead for much of this game. Mike Gillersley um, converting three short, three short touchdown runs, and the Pats just keeping the Chiefs behind them. But then the fourth quarter came around. Um, Hunt caught a deep pass from Smith and just kept running for seventy-eight yard touchdown. Um, 
another they're the same another seven play drive um is converted by hunt take take them into the lead and then another 58 yard rush followed by jack andrick west hunt's performance in that game is probably one of the performances of the season i got really excited watching that um kansas city 21 points in the fourth quarter to come back from 27 21 down to win 42 27 it didn't exactly stop new england season but it was a great start to the year yeah i have to do you agree. want to go tom yeah, I think that was an excellent game. And then uh, for me, the most entertaining game, well, maybe the most entertaining 20, final 23 seconds of a game ever was week seven when the Raiders beat the Chiefs 31-30. to 30. It was that crazy finish where we had, in the last 23 the seconds... The untimed downs. Yeah, we had three yeah. penalties, two overturned touchdowns, two untimed downs. It was, it was absolutely pure madness. It was kind of boarding on the, the ridiculous way you couldn't believe that the game was still going and it was they were still finding a way to extend the game and it it, it was a really fun one and i believe it was it was pr- prime time was it a thursday night game if, if i can remember rightly it was it's one of those one of those fun ones it I actually think it had, might have been sunday night possibly was, oh, it might be a, I, I knew it was a prime time game but no that that was an excellent game and then i i, I think that was that that one was was a real fun one to watch I really enjoyed um, Week Five, Green Bay against Dallas. I mean, oh, for personal my point God, of view, have you sto- stole my list here. <laughs> well, this to, to be honest, this was not long after my daughter's birth, and it was at the point when sitting watching NFL games on nearly mute at three a.m. in the morning with my daughter, and we're like desperately trying to get her to sleep. Was basically what my life became for a little while, um, and I just remember this one being so much fun, back and forth. I mean, Dak Prescott having a great day as a pass, a sort of you know Bryce Butler, Des Bryant, everyone getting involved. Green Green Bay coming back from 21-6 down and still looking like they were going to lose it. Um, Green Bay missed two extra points in that game. And then right at the end, Rodgers hits an absolute killer pinpoint pass to Devontae Adams for a 35-31 win. It's a shame that, really, again, it meant nothing because both of those teams missed out on the playoffs. And, yeah, but it was it was, it was was a good fun game. You got any more? Have I stolen all of yours? Well, those are my, I've, I've got those, I've got a few just to name check. Those were all of my NFL ones, but for me, the the two best games, football games of the year, was arguably the number two was the 2018 national championship game between Alabama and Georgia. That was a heartbreaker for for my Georgia Bulldogs right at the end there, and it was kind of a crazy game where we had a quarter. You know, they can never have in the NFL that the the, the best. You know, team in college football, an absolute dynasty, has won four national championships the last eight years. At half time, benched their quarterback, who was something like twenty-eight and one the last two seasons, only to go and win the game with a walk-off, uh, walk-off game and walk-off touchdown in, in I believe it was double overtime or something after the kicker had missed twice. And then the best game for me was actually the 2018 Rose Bowl. Was the Oklahoma Sooners taking on the Georgia Bulldogs? Uh, went to double overtime, 54-48, an absolute barnstormer featuring plenty of future NFL talent. I think for me, those were the two best football games of the year. Although unfortunately they, for the NFL, they, they fell in in the college football arena. Yeah, you can't watch those on Game Pass, um, so thanks for that. Interesting YouTube, with, um, co- have a look on YouTube. With, with, with college football, um, the national champion didn't involve the real national champion, the University yeah. of Central Florida, who were unbeaten on the season, the only unbeaten team, they're beat the real Auburn. national champions. Beat Auburn, <laughs> beat Georgia and beat Bama, do the stats. Yeah. They, yeah. They... <laughs> there you go. That's, um, if I would say, if you're wanting to hit some more games on Game Pass, you could do a lot better than the first matchup between the Jags and the Steelers, when the Jags just blew them out, because that was... Yeah. A jaw-dropping shocker. I, I would say, um, obviously, the Pat Steelers Week 15, which was an absolute thriller. You've got um, uh, that very painful uh, loss from my Saints to the Vikings in the playoffs. Um, and how about the snowball? Bills Colts from Week 14. 
um, you Nick thought he was seeing a mirage. Just, yeah, just just for the sort of the, the fever dream state that I was in watching <laughs> it, and so I not really knowing what was going on. Is this real? That was fun. That that was a great game. So yeah, hit up some of those games on um, Game Pass. We're not paid by right. Game Pass to say this. Yeah, we, Let me just point that well, out. <laughs> I hope. You, yeah, if you well, if you've not got Game Pass, you can't watch it anyway. Don't buy Game Pass just to watch that. Might be stupid. Yeah. I mean, you can't mention the 2017 season without um, talking about the ongoing um, exclusion from the league of Colin Kaepernick. Um, I don't think it would be right to have this show looking back without mentioning it. It's been the biggest story of the year. I mean, and, and you know, if you're not sure whether, whether he is being kind of excluded for his place, well, it's probably not his play. I mean, given that teams like the Texans um, going through Tom Savage, TJ Yates, Taylor Heineke, probably play, players who might not have even business being on an NFL roster. Um, you know, you know, the sort of like Colin Kaepernick's protest against police brutality and the sort of, you know, it, 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 it's not it, it's not unreasonable to point out that there is this sort of almost epidemic of white cop on black man racist violence in America. And this is what he was protesting. And whatever you think about the methods, I think probably protesting it was going to get him kind of in this sort this sort of situation, whatever happened. I mean, we had the um, barely coherent outburst on players kneeling from the President of the United States. Um, and the NFL's response was weird. It was kind of to link hands. And then we had people, quite dubious points of view, like Jerry Jones, almost trying to hog, hog the spotlight. Um, <laughs> and then and then he was... The interesting thing about that is that then when the protest carried on, he was that he was disappointed and he actually started getting aggressive, not aggressive almost towards his players. And it's just, you know... Do you, do you think that there is this kind of disparity in values? Because I think that proves the point. I mean, there's not much we can say on this beyond sort of saying that you hope that protests that to, to kind of highlight this massive issue that America has, this sort of disparity, and never is it more apparent than when you've got the current president in the White House um, buoyed on by a fan base who don't see any almost racial disparity in the States. I mean, Kaepernick is, an, is a interesting fantastic does a lot of fantastic charitable work right now i mean it can't be easy to have sort of your this the arena in which you are naturally talented that you are passionate about blocked off by people just because of your beliefs um he's an inspiring hard-working individual i mean i hope that nfl players continue to stand up to sort of the racism this issue of police brutality on um, young black men that he's protesting i mean america like i said america really needs that more than ever and it is a story that I suspect will kind of fade away, but I don't think you can think about this season without thinking about anthem protests. Um, but except they're not anthem protests, are they? They're protests against police brutality that just happened to take place during the anthem. What else can we say? Yeah, it's it's been a very strange NFL season in a sense. I mean, it's definitely been one that we're going to look back on and be like, do you remember when they got, oh yeah, I remember when they were kneeling. Well, it's been a very, very political one and maybe that's just the, the, the climate and the culture we're currently living in. This is kind of a, a product of the times, but yeah, it's I kind mean, of... It's, you- Oh, you can't ahead. you can't separate sport and politics. And this is an interesting thing. Stick to sports. Um, different sport, but anyone who's but if you're sort of interested in ways that um, round football um, kind of interacts with politics, I would really recommend Simon Cooper's Football Against the Enemy. It's a 20 year old book, but he goes around the world looking at how the two are entwined. And I think you can't ever separate that. And yeah, this year's it, kind of dem- it, demonstrated that. It's, it's kind of been the year of of politics, and also the year of the concussion. You know, we've seen multiple teams now where players have exited games. And, and miraculously made a quick comeback and, and, and played back. So it's going to be definitely one we're going to be thinking about going forward. 
there probably, I imagine there'll be a lot stricter rules about players being checked out for concussions. I mean, we had that absolutely terrible one of Tom Savage for the Texans, where he had like a seizure, and it was it was it was it was completely it was it was awful to watch. And then there was the Russell Wilson. I think Cam had a big hit as well. And then we had obviously we had Gronk on on the weekend in the championship game, but he he didn't mm. come back in. So that that still we are living in the concussion era, and it still is something that is very topical and obviously a, a massive issue facing the sport. So it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that in the off season if if there are more severe fines handed out for teams that don't comply with it, and whether, whether there will be greater compliance, you know, forced on teams to to make sure the players haven't suffered a concussion because it's getting more and more difficult to. To, to determine exactly what what is and what isn't because the, you know coaches are trying to get their best players out on the team maybe they're putting pressure on the medical staff it it's it's quite a difficult issue at the minute yeah i any league will have difficult difficult issues at any point and i think it is not going away concussion and i think that's probably a, a good thing that yeah that we are well it's definitely a good thing isn't it that we are now more aware of this than ever that i guess what it just needs is more kind of responsible coaching sort of the idea that winning at all costs one of those costs should not be you know people's health in the future, yeah. yeah well that's that people's health when it's that severe but i guess that will be an issue as further research into cte goes that the nfl will probably deal with until the nfl no longer exists um for whatever that reason that ends up being well a nicely sombering note to finish on there, I think. Um, but but it wouldn't be right to sort of discount some of these things. But that's it for this week. Join us next week when for our Super Bowl preview pod, um, we're hoping to have a star-studied guest-riddled um, pod. And I can say that because Tom's responsible for getting people on. And I can just sit here with my feet up, laughing at the job I've now given him. In the yep. meantime, check out the website, theinsidezone.com. Articles will be going up all week. Um, follow us on Twitter at the Inside Zone. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash Inside Zone UK. And both of us are on Twitter too. He's at Tom Like NFL. I'm at Long Snaps Ranked. Hope you enjoyed the show and see you all next week. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out the website at www.theinsidezone.com. Till next time.